you've been lied to. The key to longevity, the key to health is not to stay in the comfort zone. Welcome to Live Well, Be Well, a show to help high performers improve their health and well-being. I'm incredibly excited to share today's episode of Live Well, Be Well with you all as we dive into the intricate relationship between fasting and the different stages of a woman's menstrual cycle. Imagine unlocking our body's potential by understanding when to fast, how to eat and when to exercise during each phase of your menstrual cycle. The truth is, the conversation around fasting and women's health is more nuanced than media headlines suggest. I'm honoured to have Dr. Mindy Pels join me today. She's best-selling author and world-renowned expert in fasting and women's health. Get ready for valuable insights and practical advice from the fasting guru herself, Dr. Mindy Pels. Your voice has come up before we even spoke this week in a conversation that I actually had with a with a very dear friend of mine, but also a renowned sleep expert called Dr. Narina. And she stopped um, eating breakfast, but she has been known for always saying consume breakfast to help your sleep. Mm. And she actually said that fasting has helped her more than she ever, ever expected. And it does seem that it does affect men and women really, really differently. A thousand percent. Um, And this is the whole like premise of Fast Like a Girl and what I'm trying to get to the world is fasting is an incredible healing tool. And Mm. both men and women should be exploring all aspects of fasting. Fasting is very much like sleep. We need it. It's a healing state for our bodies. And we we can go deeper into that. But what, you know, when you look at the human brain and body, there's not a lot of differences on how we should sleep between the sexes, but there is in how we should fast. And Mm -hmm. that's what we need to get out to women so that women know how to fast correctly so they can get like what your, your friend got. How can they get the benefits and not the downsides that can happen for women with fasting? How are we different to men? Because women and men that live together need to have right. a, a different approach. That's yes. what I'm finding out. Yes. So I'll make it really simple. Men that hormonally work off a 24-hour system and they have one hormone that they have to focus on and that's testosterone. Testosterone comes in every 15 minutes, all hormones pulse. But for men, it's like every 15 minutes, they're getting another dose and another dose of testosterone and testosterone will go up into their brains and convert into estrogen. Mm -hmm. So they only need to focus on one and they need to think about it in a 24 hour period. Women, we have three sex hormones that run us, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And we don't work off a 24-hour system. We work off a monthly system. And so these three hormones are pulsing in at different times throughout our menstrual cycle. And here's the tricky part. All three of these hormones want something a little different when it comes to both food and fasting. And the best way I can explain this is when you look at estrogen and progesterone, Estrogen's coming in in the front half of our cycle. Progesterone's coming in the back half of our cycle. I look at them like sisters. Like they, we call them both sex hormones. They're in the same hormone family, but they have vastly different personalities. Estrogen is going to love when you fast. You keep glucose low, insulin low, 
you, estrogen loves it. Uh, estrogen's very forgiving of cortisol. And so if cortisol spikes, which it, it does with fasting, just like it does with exercise, estrogen doesn't care. But progesterone's completely the opposite. She likes glucose to be higher, which is why we crave carbs at, at the week before our cycle. It's not uh, your, your lack of discipline. You actually, your progesterone's building up your desire to eat more carbs. Um, and progesterone gets shy when cortisol goes high. So, you know, we can't have a lot of stress or progesterone goes away. I, I really think of them like, like estrogen's the extrovert that's like the party gal and progesterone's like the introvert that's like, no, 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 we're going to stay on the couch. We're going to eat a little bit more. We're going to like go a little more inner. And that is how the feminine body is designed. The language that you use around our cycles is so eloquent, but I also just, you know, from coming from a science background and sometimes struggling with the concepts of how we describe parts within our human body, you really empower this within your book, within these four phases, which I want to get to. But before we even get into this, something that I would love just to approach with, with caution is you do mention this too, on how certain types of women, you know, whether they're pregnant or lactating or eating disorders, you know, how to approach this just with some caution. Just at the very beginning, I just loved kind of for you to mention some of these key groups and concepts that we should just be having in the top of our mind when, when approaching fasting. I thank you for bringing that up because I, uh, I look at fasting for women as a flexible tool. And so mm -hmm. you've got to find your own rhythm. Just we are, we are, our bodies are built off of rhythm. So I don't want to see women get rigid with the fasting ideas. I want women to be curious and understand how each one of these fasts works for them. Mm -hmm. When we look at certain groups, one of the challenges we have is if you have an eating disorder, um, you don't take the fasting journey by yourself. Get a health coach, get whoever is working with you. Maybe it's a psychologist, maybe it's a doctor. Have them walk that path with you. Um, this is why, you know, I'm trying to get to the doctors. I'm trying to get the science out there so that we can start to, to collaborate with people who could use fasting but need a little more structure in it. So mm -hmm. the first one would be any eating disorder. The second two that I'm really can't emphasize enough is pregnancy. So not your tool. Like, like fasting's not your tool when you're pregnant. There's other great tools like focus on your microbiome because you're going to pass that down to your child. So focus on eating foods that support a healthy microbiome. And then once you deliver, then you can move into low-level fasting, which leads me to the third group, which is nursing moms need to be clear that they are not fasting more than 15 hours because once we go over 15, we stimulate, we start to stimulate autophagy. And autophagy is where the sometimes the cells will get rid of very dysfunctional cells that are packed with viruses and bacteria and heavy metals and toxins. And that goes into our lymph system, which goes into the milk. And then that goes into your baby. So you can do a 13 hour. I think 13 to 15 hours is great for nursing moms, but not more than that. I'm so pleased that you mentioned that because my next question to follow on to all of this was, you know, what is our ideal time to fast? Because on this series, we've got um, Dr. Sanchi Panda coming on, who is, nice. um, you know, renowned in circadian rhythms and intermittent fasting. And he looks a lot at the 16 hour rest window and the eight hour eating window. What's your kind of um, 
take on how women should be fasting? What are the times that we should be resting and when should we be eating? What's our eating window looking like? Yeah, so um, by the way, I love the 16-8 fat, fast and I, like, I think Sachin Panda's work is incredible. Um, and now let's just take something that's really cool and let's mm. fit it to a woman. So that's, you know, when you when you do that interview, it'll be a beautiful marriage to this interview because you'll, you will see one of the most epic studies ever done on this 16-8 approach. So, um, so I just want to point that out. Uh, in Fast Like a Girl, there are six different level fasts that I map out, and they're all based off of science, and they're based off of what I saw not only clinically in my practice, but now we've seen over worldwide from my online community that millions of women's women have started to apply. Mm-hmm. And the sixteen or the six different fasts are everything from a thirteen-hour intermittent fast all the way up to seventy-two hours of a uh, immune reset water fast, which Walter Longo brought us. Mm-hmm. So for women, we have to look at these six different fasts like a Swiss Army knife. You know, you, sometimes you pull out the big knife. Sometimes you pull out the little knife. Sometimes you pull out the tweezers, and we all know sometimes you need the corkscrew. <laughs> Like, let's just be honest. So, that is true. Right? Yeah, sometimes <laughs> yeah. you're like, forget the, the knives. I'm going straight to the corkscrew. I got to open something up. So, uh, yeah. So we so look at it that way. There's, there's possibility in all six. And mm. then what Fast Like a Girl did is really match those six to the different ebbs and flows of hormones. Mm-hmm. So, but, but I can't emphasize enough that this is, this is a personal journey that you're going to make with fasting, um, mm-hmm. which I know it's a lot easier. I mean, I look at uh, Sachin Panda has a, has a little easier job on his interview because he's just going to go in and tell you how amazing 16-8 is, which it is amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. So he has one fast. I'm talking about six fasts, time to different parts of the menstrual menstrual cycle. And if you're a menopausal woman, you got to time it differently than than you know a cycling woman. So there's a lot of nuance here, but that's that sort of gives you a framework in which we can work off of. So what do these six fasts look like? So we have two different ways we make energy. One is from the foods we eat, and one is in the absence of food. And mm-hmm. so it takes about. You know, anywhere from eight to 12 hours after your blood sugar spikes, after your last meal, to start to move you from a sugar burner to a fat burning energy system. So mm-hmm. you're, you're working off a different system. So the 12 hour, 12, 13 hours is what we consider intermittent fasting. You're now, most people are officially in this uh, state of fat burning and we're starting to see inflammation come down, growth hormone go up, uh, a little bit of testosterone kick in. Um, So the body goes into a healing state around 12 hours. I always tell women like 13 to 15 is a sweet spot. Most Mm -hmm. women are gonna wanna do that on a semi-regular basis and we can time it to to, to the cycle here in a moment. About 17 hours without food, you're still in this healing, fat-burning state, your body's going to go into autophagy. And if you think about it from the intelligence of the body, what it's doing is it's saying, hey, blood sugar hasn't come in, nutrients haven't come in, 
there is seems to be a mini crisis here. So don't be don't be concerned about that word because it's a hormetic stress. You're starting mm-hmm. to see that the body has to get itself more efficient and stronger. So once you go to about 17 hours and you click into autophagy, what happens is the cells will get rid of aging and and dysfunctional disease producing cells get sloughed off. Cellular parts regenerate. The cell pushes toxins and viruses and bacteria out of the cell, and your trillions of cells start to become better versions of themselves. At 24 hours, the whole gut starts to reset. You get intestinal stem cells that come in and will reset your whole microbiome so you can really overturn any years of birth control or antibiotics or steroid use or poor diet. We see a whole change in the, in the gut. At 36 hours, the body goes, okay, this, is, this has been a long time. There's been no food. I better go find what I stored years ago. And it starts to break fat down at a faster rate. So I call it the fat burning reset. It's a great mm. one for unsticking weight loss. At 48 hours, the whole dopamine system gets re- rebooted. Because if you think about it, now the intelligence of the body is like, hey, I need you clear. I need you motivated. I need you happy so you can go find food. And so what ends up happening is you reboot the whole dopamine system, plus you get new dopamine receptor sites that open up so that you're in all to save your life because your body's going, it needs to go search for food. Mm. But those new receptors are there once you bring food back into the equation, I just want to point out. And then at 72 hours, the whole immune system gets rebooted. So what we have to realize, most people, when they go into fasting, they think that they're going to die. But what I'm advocating for, as long as those, those windows may seem, is that this is micro-dosing, in a, in, it, to, for a lack of a better word, of like coming in with these six f- different fasts in order to create a bit of a hormetic stress on the body so that the body has to become stronger. And that, you know, I'm not talking 30-day fasts. I'm not, I'm saying these six from 13 hours to 72 hours, you can really maximize healing in a way that we have never seen before. There's going to be a whole range of people listening to this where some might have already engaged in that, some haven't. I'm just thinking about my mother who, when I've asked her to fast, she can't, she can't fast for 12 hours because she thinks she might faint. So... What's your kind of um, concept on that where people just say, well, I actually really struggle to fast. I actually really struggle to miss breakfast because I feel like my brain's not going to be firing efficiently or I need glucose in the sector or my blood sugar is too low. Take this with love if you're one of those people. Um, we, you've been lied to. And uh, we thought six meals a day, breakfast was the most important meal a day. All of that was going to improve our metabolism. And there is no scientific evidence that eating all the time actually stimulates your your metabolism. We know different now, even though fasting is an ancient healing tool, we know different. And science like that Sachin's doing is really starting to prove to us that difference. So if you can't go without food, it's really because you've trained your body to eat all day. And it's a training to go without food and that's going to be a little uncomfortable in the beginning, but that's okay. The, you know, mm. the, the, the key to longevity, the key to health is not to stay in the comfort zone. 
The key is to dip in and out of discomfort. I'm not Mm -hmm. telling you be uncomfortable your whole life uh, and white knuckle this. I'm saying the longer you stay in comfort, whether it's with food or life, or even like, look at all the cold plunging that is like taking over the world. It's Mm -hmm. because people are putting themselves in these micro events Mm -hmm. that move them into discomfort and the body heals. So it would be a training for your mother. And I think this is where the science helps so that she understands she's not going to die. But I'm not, I can't tell her it won't be uncomfortable. The cool mm-hmm. thing is give her, if she tried intermittent fasting like 13 hours within a couple of weeks, she would come back and thank you. First yeah. two days, she would probably complain to you. <laughs> She would definitely. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, you might sorry, have Mother somebody else. Yeah, you might have somebody else tell her. Just saying. <laughs> I know me me telling her things doesn't really go down very well. But yeah. I'm just you know I I think about it as you're talking from this. You know that we now live in this Western world where convenience food and food is two minutes down the road or a click away on our phone, and we've come yeah. into this kind of consumerism processed. You know, also the food that we're consuming is is hitting our, you know, dopamine receptors, serotonin receptors, telling us that we want more, that quick fix. Yep. Um, going back to evolution, we didn't have the abundance of food that we have today. So that's also how I think about fasting, right? It's yep. kind of, it's food is everywhere and yep. we want to survive. So we want to eat more food, but it's actually yep. kind of doing the opposite. Yeah. And the best way to grab this concept, you're absolutely right, mm. is that... Um, Go back to our primal ancestors. Let's just look at their habits because they had the same human body that we have. Mm. This this always blows my mind. Like here we are able to have a beautiful conversation <laughs> in different parts of the world. Um, we Our technology ha- is so sophisticated, um, but the human body has not changed from the cave primal days. Mm. And in those days, they didn't come out of the cave and have an iPhone to pick up and, <laughs> and re- get get food to come to them. They didn't have a refrigerator. They didn't have a pantry. And they probably didn't have food on many days. So they had to go search for food. Mm. In that search, they had to be strong. They had to be mentally clear. They had to be focused. So they could go hunt food. They could go get food for their survival. And so in the book, I talk about something called a um, thrifty gene hypothesis, which is this idea that the humans that evolved out of those primal days had a genetic profile that allowed them to become stronger without food. And the ones that didn't have this genetic profile didn't continue past those primal days. But we, the belief is that we have that gene in us today, all humans. So when we're eating all day, what we're doing, and catch this, really think about this, what we're doing is we're now going against our genetic design. Just like the people who didn't survive the primal days that didn't have that gene that allowed them to go with food, maybe they had to have more food on a regular basis, they didn't survive. We're at a point where we may not survive or we may build chronic disease a lot quicker if we're not getting a break from food periodically. It's such an interesting narrative to form in one's mind, isn't it? Because we don't think about this. I think a lot of times, and I and I started looking at fasting um, many years ago from a health problem for my gut microbiome. Um, and now it's obviously come a lot more into the forward-facing media of weight loss and all of these kind of desirable concepts. But actually... Which sounds like, well, human bodies are designed to fast because that's when the real healing can take place. And it's like, it's just what you said at the beginning. It's like sleep. 
It's yeah. like letting your body sleep and rest. It's the same with our, with, with our internal systems. Yeah. And that, and that's why in the book, I, I start off by like, let's just take the diet culture and like, let's just talk about where it's led us down such a yeah. bad path. Um, because what I hear a lot of people, this was like about two years ago, everybody interviewing me was like, why are we still talking about fasting? Like, is that really a thing? Well, yeah. I mean, if you put it in the fad diet category, it would seem strange that every year fasting is becoming more and more popular, but this is not a fad diet. This is a healing state you're going to dip in and out of to repair your body. And what I love about it probably more than anything is it's free. And so every, it's an equalizer. Everybody Mm. can do it. I mean, I'll tell you here in America, if you want to eat organic, you're going to have to have a little bit of money to be able to buy organic because it costs more to get the food without the chemicals on it. We've gotten to a place where if you want to eat clean, nourishing food that supports your health, it's going to cost you more and you're going to need a little more time to make the food, get the food. Um, So we need an equalizer and fasting Mm -hmm. is that because it puts you in this healing state. I've got one question to ask you from our listeners. I know we've not got time to do all of the questions, but one question, and you've mentioned it during this podcast, and this is from Ruth Daisies. Ruth has asked around fasting and PCOS, so polycystic ovary syndrome. So many women I know suffer with this. And I know this is kind of one of the big burning questions. We had this from a few people. So I'd love you to answer this question for Ruth. I really hope you're enjoying this chat, but I'm going to pause it for just a second to thank my sponsor that has made it all possible. Lima are the ultimate wellness brand right now, and they've completely revolutionized what a supplement can be. Live Well Be Well is all about finding evidence about ways to improve your physical and mental health, which is why I am so excited to have Lima on board, because we're all too familiar with the symptoms of stress, poor sleep, problem skin or inflammation. Lima's award-winning supplement contains 10 powerful ingredients all in one unique formula. So you don't have to worry about the hassle of taking multiple supplements. But listen to this though, and this is why they're one of my favorite wellness and beauty brands. They've created a game-changing device called Lima Laser. It's the world's most powerful at-home laser and can transform your skin in as little as 12 weeks. You can use it to help treat so many major skin conditions and it's safe for all skin tones and types with zero pain or downtime. It's also completely safe to use around the eyes despite it being 100 times more powerful than LED. Lima is an award-winning brand trusted by household names like Ellie Golding and Victoria Beckham. You may have also spotted Gwyneth Paltrow, Hailey Bieber and Kim Kardashian all raving about their Lima lasers on Instagram. So experience the Lima difference and begin your journey to a more vibrant you. Don't let life's ups and downs hold you back. Visit lima.life slash VIP. That's L-Y-M-A dot life slash VIP and use the discount code podcast to receive four months of Lima's award-winning supplement for the price of three because there's no better feeling than feeling your best. I love that you asked me this because what we again need to, the cultural conversation that needs to happen is PCOS is the number one hormonal problem for women in their 20s and the 30s. And I'll give you a 53-year-old perspective 
we never talked about PCOS when I was in my 20s and 30s. It wasn't around. Mm. So when these new like diagnoses appear, we have to scratch our head and go, what is at the root that's in the modern world right now? And there are two things that I would encourage Ruth to look at. The first is insulin resistance. So the greatest way to pull a woman out of insulin resistance is to fast like a girl. Mm. I, I, I have seen that work over and over and over again. So, you know, make sure that she is doing, knowing when to fast and when not to, bringing carbs down and bringing carbs up, learn that ebb and flow. The second one is toxic load. And this is huge because we have more toxins in our beauty products, in our perfumes, in our on our clothing. We have phthalates that come off our clothing now. Mm. Uh, our, our furniture, toxins are everywhere. So what I always say is let's start by learning the ebbs and flows of fasting like a girl. And I will tell you that I've now seen thousands and thousands of women who have reversed PCOS just by fasting like a girl. And if that doesn't work for Ruth or she's like, I'm not really getting the symptom relief that I want, then we got to look at the toxic load. Wow. But when we pair those two things together where we get a woman insulin sensitive and we bring her toxic load down, I can't tell you, I, we have yet to see a PCOS, PCOS condition that we haven't been able to help by addressing those two things. Wow. It's, it's literally, literally that simple. The modern world has caused PCOS to emerge. So let's undo the modern world. I mean, I would just even say simply go and look at your comments on YouTube, right? It's like such a powerful yes. explanation. And, yeah. and it's right in our face to say this is actually working for, for everyday people that are coming on. They're, they're sharing their stories of fasting like a girl and, and, and what they've been through and how much they've kind of encountered during their journey. And I think the toxic load is so interesting. It's that we don't talk about enough. And we yeah. had Dr. Larissa Corder on the last season, mm. um, who, and she's a gynecologist and she spoke so heavily around the toxic load that we're using in our house from our cleaning products, what deodorants that yeah. we're putting on our body that's actually causing infertility in men and women. You know what I always say is we're in an evolutionary mismatch mm. right now with our hormones. So the modern world is actually destroying the female body quicker than it's destroying the male body, but it's both of us. Yeah. And it comes from the toxic, the physical, emotional, chemical toxins that just keep going up and up and up. It's quite a conversation to have, but we just need to start with like, what, what do we put on our skin? Because what, you know, ask yourself, here's a good one. Ask yourself, would I eat? what I'm putting on my skin. If the answer is no, you've got the wrong skincare product mm. because all the natural skincare product lines will say, this is pure whole foods. It's just, we put it in a cream mm -hmm. and you could eat it. If you can't eat it, and same thing with your household cleaners, then get rid it's of it. It's interesting as well. I always think about, um, as I'm having this conversation, just becoming more intuitive with your body. And actually, when does your body need that food? And how are you feeling right now? And how are you feeling after you've eaten it? I think all of these systems play such a big part. And it leads me into wanting to really speak about these four phases that as women, we all go through. And I love how you describe them in your book, these four phases, which I think just makes it so much more accessible for women to understand. Mm, thank you. Yeah, and I love that you that you got the the simplicity of the names because I, one of my missions is to help bring the language of hormones to the world. Mm -hmm. And when we talk follicular luteal, like everybody falls asleep. As a dyslexic, <laughs> it's like what? It's my worst. <laughs> I, yes, 
Yes. So you and I have that. So I'm not dyslexic, but I have had a, I had a learning disability as a child. So I learned I had to learn to take complicated concepts and make them very simple. Yeah. So when I first started learning the hormonal cycle, I was like, okay, wait. How about we call this something like the power phase and manifestation and nurture, so that we can make it really easy for people to understand. Yeah. So. Day one to day 10 is what I call the power phase. And here's the way I want women to think about this. The first couple of days of your cycle, you have a hormonal crash. Mm. So your hormones are at the lowest on day one. Prior to that, right before you went and started to bleed, your hormone, specifically progesterone, had to peak in order for that uterine lining to shed. So she's at her highest, giving you a lot of GABA, you're feeling all warm and fuzzy, and then boom, period starts, and now you're bleeding and progesterone's out. So the first couple of days, or there's a little bit of a transition, but pretty much those first 10 days, your body now starts to ramp up estrogen. And estrogen, like we mentioned, wants you to power up on your health habits. Estrogen's like, eat right for me, please exercise, please keep glucose down. If you wanna put your party hat on and go out and, and dance all night long, you can do that. You can, you know, estrogen, we're crazy powerful when estrogen comes in. Um, if you wanna take on a big workload, go for it. So outside of those first couple of days, I always say like that first 10 day period, Power up on life, power up on health. That's why I called it the power of faith. I love that. Then, right? I love I mean, it. it just makes it easy. Book in those big meetings, book, it, book them in. Yeah. I just talked to a woman yesterday who told me what she does is from about day three all the way actually through ovulation. And we'll talk about that in a moment. She does like, she'll, she can take on like three to five hours of Zoom calls. But then the week before her period, she shuts that down and only does two Zoom calls a week. Well, that's me and um, my podcasts, right? Like yeah. I track my cycle um, just because I get really affected with PMS. And three or four days before my period, absolutely. I'm not having any any big conversation. I'm not recording any podcast. I'm not engaging in anything that needs a rational mind because I'm just not in that state. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And we should all be doing that. Yeah. We should all be, you know, this is the thing about Fast Like a Girl that was just bit excited me so much is now women are going, okay, well, if I'm supposed to time fasting and food to my life, how should I time my work? How should I time my fitness? So we're starting to get that education now, which is great. Then day 11 to day 15, this is ovulation, your ovulation window. I just want to, you know, a lot of women aren't even aware of this. We all ovulated a little, you know, one, you might do a day 11, another woman does day 15, we're ovulating really different. But what's magical about this time is you've got estrogen at her peak, the highest she'll be all month long. You've got testosterone at its peak, highest she'll be, I'm going to, we, we got to make them all she's, she, she'll be at, at her, at her point of the day of the month. And then you've got a little bit of progesterone. And so progesterone is there to calm you. So I called it the manifestation phase because we all know we're fertile that time. But with these three hormones, you actually have highest creativity. You have the highest ability for to be able to do work. Like everything is going to be at its peak during this manifestation time, which means it's a good time for a shorter fast, 15 hours is about max. You could even maybe go to 17 if you're an experienced faster. 
but you don't really want to push it during this time. You're, there's a better tool for you, which is food. And why I think that is important is because um, during this hormonal rush, a lot of women will detox a little bit more. Um, a lot of women don't have a really good gut, so they need to focus on more foods that support the microbiome. So I like women during this period to keep a moderate fasting level and really go into what I call hormone feasting foods, where we're just bringing glucose up and we're supporting the microbiome in a different way during the, that five-day window. Wow, and that's the manifestation window. And just before in the power window, how long should women fast for or be looking to fast for in that window? if they're applying that concept. Okay, so day one to day 10 is what I called the power phase. And um, the reason I called it this is because this is the time you can really power up on all your health tools. So this isn't just fasting. Uh, this can be, um, you know, if, you're, if you love the ketogenic diet, you can go really low carb at this time. Uh, if you really are a fitness hound and you want to push a workout, these 10 days is really perfect to do that. And then when we look at like social events and work events, you could party all night, you can take on more, more challenges at work. Over these 10 days, estrogen is gonna build. And estrogen, again, is very cortisol forgiving and estrogen wants glucose low. So this makes a great time for all of those fitness habits that you have, but it also makes a really good time for fasting, mm -hmm. um, especially those that want to do like a three-day water fast. It's a great time. Or you want to push it to the 36-hour fast and see if you can unstick some weight. Great time. So it sounds between those one and those one and 10 days is when we kind of like literally all our hard meetings, when we schedule in any of our big training. You know, when we have yeah. those stresses in our lives, sometimes we are just not ready to face. We face them in this power 10 days in the beginning of our period. And that's when that's right. you mentioned keto, which is kind of a lower carb, high fat diet that many people might know about or might be on, is to do it in this phase of the cycle. Exactly. And this was, if you think about where the media took keto and fasting for women, is they said, women shouldn't do keto, women shouldn't fast. But what they forgot the part of the conversation is, and the, and the way it should have been explained, is women should fast and do keto at certain times of the month. And one of them is in that first 10 days. Mm -hmm. So that's why I called it the power Amazing. Phase. That just gives it so much kind of encouragement in those first kind of 10 days when we really go for it. And it's true, I book in a lot of my meetings in the first half of my menstrual cycle. Yeah, which makes total sense. And this is, you know, this is where I want to take the information that I taught the world on fasting and food. I want to take it to relationships and work and fitness. And so that women start to see that we're meant to ebb and flow in our energy output. Mm -hmm. So this is why I'm like, anytime estrogen's coming in, you're going to be more extroverted. Now, I know if you're an introvert listening to this, you're like, <laughs> I'm never extroverted. I have some friends that when I say that, they're like, whatever, that doesn't make sense. But you will be the most extroverted version of yourself yeah. because that's what estrogen demands is it's a much more upbeat type of hormone. Mm -hmm. So match your lifestyle to that upbeat uh, personality that estrogen that's has. That's good for your partner to know. <laughs> Oh my Don't gosh. Have those hard conversations yes. in the first 10 days. Oh, and I, I can't tell you how many men have come up to me and said that they actually, once they understood, they're reading the book, and once they understood uh, that how women should fast, they actually started to understand their wives and their sisters and their friends a lot This better. book is not just for women. I will just point that out here. Agreed. Everyone should read yeah. this book. You should understand one another and our, our relationships and our work commitments and all of these things. We work on this acyclic cycle that... 
We have the same yeah. week every week, Monday to Friday. For men, that can be great. But for women, it doesn't work that way. And I think it's really important that yeah. we have this discussion about it. Yeah, it's it's such a good point. We have really made it like we don't talk about our menstrual cycles. Like, shh, you know, like when I talk to the men about this and I'm like, yeah, there's times we're really gregarious and there's times we're really moody. And they're like, oh, oh, did you just say that? <laughs> Uh, you said that. I didn't say that. Like all the men are nervous. They're like, I I see that in my wife, but I don't, I don't want to say anything. But, you know, let's own yeah. it. We, we have this vast emotional spectrum of our of the female brain. And that is because of the differences in these hormones. So let's own where we are extroverted and let's own where we're introverted. And we don't want you to touch us or talk to us or like that's the way we are. And every time we go against that, we actually are building more disease and more mental suffering. So the day has come for us to own it. A hundred percent. You know, Garba Mate, he is the guy who talks about, you know, when we harbor yes. stress in our body and this is what we're doing if we're not talking about it. So I love that we're clarifying this. So one to 10, we're yes. powering up, we're booking in those meetings. Power up. We're, you know, if we're wanting to fast harder and longer, this is the time to do it. This is the time. Yeah, when we go into the manifestation phase, so that's like day 11 to day 15, this is ovulation. Most people know that. The like follicular luteal, they don't know, but ovulation, everybody's like, oh yeah, get pregnant. I could get pregnant. Like every woman learned that. But during this phase, what women didn't le- learn is that estrogen's at her peak. So she's the highest you're ever getting. That makes you a great verbal processor. That makes you able to multitask. That makes you uh, really uh, uh, able to problem solve. You also have testosterone at its highest. So men, listen up. Testosterone comes in the highest from day 11 to day 15. If you want more intimacy with your wife, that's your window. And she's also got estrogen, so she wants, she's going to want to talk. So you're going to want to make sure that you have plenty of good communication. Plus, she's going to have her libido will be higher. But we also have to remember that testosterone for women is also motivation and drive. Mm. So, so you, you know, if you have a work project that's the time to kill it. You want to start something new. You're not only able to birth a baby during or, or create a baby during that time, you're able to create new ideas or launch new business a business plan into the world or start a new workout plan because testosterone's at its peak paired with Well, that estrogen. makes me think, as we're talking about that, right? We're thinking about men because we think about testosterone and being a really male hormone, but I'm just thinking about weight training for women during this period. I mean, oh. surely that must be the best time to do it. Right? Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, so so that was the other thing. Again, once you see it through these this lens, you're like, I can't see it, my life, especially the lifestyle, any differently. Yeah. Why do women have a weekly workout plan? We should have a monthly workout plan. And if you want to build muscle, then why wouldn't we take that five days and do one day would be like chest and back and the next day would be like abs and the next day would be, you know, legs and, and, and glutes. Mm. Like what we use that testosterone. It's there for motivation. It's there to build muscle and it, the rest of the month, it's, it, it really dips. It, so you have your highest right there. So that goes to day 15, right? Manifest period is up yeah. to day 15. So we've got these five peak days and the testosterone really comes in and it gives us that power with the estrogen. Okay. And and what should we be doing with our food in that time as in fasting? How should we be approaching fasting in that moment? 
Yeah. Keep the fast around 15 hours. Don't go Mm -hmm. higher. Um, And really what I want you to focus on during that time is your microbiome and your liver. So, you know, my feeling is if there was ever a time to, to, to ease off on alcohol, it would be during that time because you need your liver to break these hormones down. Um, the gut microbiome, we have a whole set of bacteria in our gut called the estrobilome, which breaks down estrogen. So uh, more of the polyphenol foods, more of, you know, more leafy greens, more prebiotic, probiotic foods. So this is going to be your sauerkrauts and uh, your nuts and your seeds, your yogurts, mm. all the, the fermented foods mm. are amazing. But you also need to bring glucose up because progesterone's a little makes her appearance just a, a little bit there. Mm-hmm. And remember, progesterone needs glucose high. So this is why I don't like keto during this time. I call it hormone feasting foods. I love and, that. I, and I listed them all up. Hormone feasting. Yeah, like it's just great. Like why do we right? Why do we think feasting is bad? Feasting is great, especially if you're gonna make yourself some great hormones. So we've gone power, we've gone manifest. Could you talk me through the next phase when we're starting to crave more of those? delicious carbohydrate foods that might not be the pizzas. They might be, I imagine, more of like the brown rice and the buckwheats and the squashes and, you know, more of the kind of foods that are going to actually feed those hormones. Yeah, exactly. So when you come out of the manifestation phase, there's another dip in hormones for about four days. So I called that the second power phase. Um, So you could go back into keto for a couple of days post, you know, post ovulation, post manifestation. You could throw a few longer fasts in if you're really trying to lose weight. If you wanted to throw a 36 hour fast in or a 24, you could do it like day 17, you know, day 16, that's fine. But starting about day 19, progesterone is going to build. And progesterone, again, is that calming neurotransmitter, but also we need to bring glucose up. So think slow, Mm. think nourishing. This is why I called it the nurture phase. I was originally going to call it the chill out phase. (laughs) And then I was like, no, because that has a negative. It's you need to nurture. And and I want to point this out. You need to nurture yourself first. And we can nurture ourselves with healthy food. So we have a very skewed way of looking at food when we want to fill a hole Mm. in our spirit. We go to whatever food is going to give us that highest dopamine rush. I'd like to change the look of that. And I'd like to say you can still fill the dopamine hole. You can still give back to yourself. Just do it with nature's Mm. carbs. So this is your fruits. This is your squashes. This is your, like you said, you know, the buckwheat and the rice and the quinoa, the tropical fruits. Um, We need to lean into more of those so that you not only bring glucose up, but these are the foods that feed progesterone so that progesterone can can really make her appearance. One food I fell in love with as I started to understand these principles, I mean, it's not hard to fall in love with this food, but is chocolate. But really good. The magnesium. Dark. Yes. Yeah. And it, so if you get a dark chocolate around 70%, you got a little bit of glucose that will help with spiking your blood sugar and you get the magnesium that progesterone needs. Mm-hmm. And if you sit with any woman, she's like, oh my God, yeah, I crave carbs the week before my cycle and I crave chocolate like crazy. Yeah, you're ravenous. That's, that's <laughs> ravenous. You're ravenous. And then you try to do keto, you try to do um, fasting, and you shame yourself yeah. to your point. You're like, well, oh, I'm undisciplined, or God, why do all I want to do is like eat the whole house? So just pause for a more moment when that happens and ask. I, I talk to my hormones all the time. Ask progesterone, like, what do you need? 
and just sit and listen. Because if progesterone could talk to you, she would say, slow down, go inner, Mm -hmm. feed me, nurture your soul on every level possible. This is why I love what you do where you don't, you don't do podcasts as much. That's a, that's self love Mm. right there. And that's what every woman should be doing. It's interesting. I call self love now self-respect because it's you're having respect Mm. for yourself. And I think it's so important. And I talk about self-care a lot in the work that I do. And it's one of my pillars. Um, And I think people look at self-care as I've booked a massage once a month and that's my self-care. And Mm. it's like, no, no, self-care is a daily ritual where you do things every day to like keep your stress bucket low. And if you don't do them, you will overflow and you'll burn out and you won't be productive. And all these things that you feel are toppling on, on top of you, this is something where we just really need to give ourselves some more boundaries that's the word yes. that comes to mind as yes. you're talking to me about this. That's a great, that, yeah. Yeah, and you know, as women, let's just say it, we tend to take care of everybody around us. Mm-hmm. So that's the time to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think, you know, so the, I don't recommend fasting during this phase because you need to bring your glucose up. If you're a really skilled faster, you might be able to get away with a 13-hour fast. But in general, we're, we need to use food as our tool. Mm. But to your point, you know, the, the, we should go within and be grateful for ourselves. Yeah. And like, if you're going to get a massage during that time, I think that's amazing. But when you're on the massage table, just say kind things to yourself. Like, I'm giving you love back. Thank you for serving me, body. Uh, I deserve this moment. And just have massive appreciation for yourself in that moment. Mm. And one thing I just thought or I learned this week in interviewing a woman on my podcast who has timed her whole work cycle to her menstrual cycle is she says she does everything slow that week. So when she's walking her kids to school, she just does it a little slower. She has a little longer mourning period. She, you know, if there's conflicts that come up at work, she says, hey, I'll get back to you in a couple of days, just so that she can honor what her body needs in that moment. Mm. It's, it's more about, and then she doesn't book the social events. What we've created in this patriarchal world is that women just go through that phase and it's like everything is still at the same pace as the rest of our cycle. Mm-hmm. And that's what needs to change. Everything from fasting to how you work out to how you um, are approaching your work I life. think so much around us trying to have to fit into this patriarchal world is because so much is yes. is male dominated in this you know like even within yes. the research within the science it's been driven you know by men and yeah. Yeah. i just would love to see it come together i would love us to see us yes. organize our work calendars together in sync and seeing like actually this is where we can really get the best out of the people who are women that are working with us not actually this is how it has to be done let's listen to our body and it's going to change its needs and i think that's the power behind this, right? It's the intuitive. Yes. Yeah, we, I mean, we will spend the rest of our lives debating diet until we decide that the right diet is the one that matches your hormonal profile. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, all the fad diets are going to keep coming and going and keep coming and keep going. And then the other piece of this that I, I really want to emphasize to both men and women listening, but really to the women I'm not saying that this is a weakness. This isn't like the week before our periods were like, hey, I can't do anything. I'm just going to be a sloth and sit on the, <laughs> on the couch. This is about understanding yourself 
so that we can explain it to others. Mm -hmm. And you actually will be more productive in your fitness, in your diet, in your fasting, at work, your relationships, if you honor this week before your period. Because you're going within and you're nurturing yourself so that when you start to bleed, you can go without and and power up the world. So if we get in that understanding, Mm. you're actually able to do more so if you're like, your boss is like, what do you mean you're slowing down the you know, couple days before your period? What I want you to start to realize is that this is actually how you get more productivity out of a woman. And if we continue to push women the same way throughout the whole cycle, we're going to continue to see the hormonal challenges, one of which is infertility, um, that we are, we are dealing with in worldwide right now. Yeah. We have to blend the patriarch with the matriarch in healthcare. The time has come. Yeah, it has. And this is why I love the work that you're doing and that you're shouting out about, because many women that are listening to this, and I'm going to kind of say something here on anecdotal, which I was in the contraceptive pill for... I don't know, 13 years, maybe more. I went on at the age of 16. Um, the progesterone mm-hmm. only pill. Um, I came off it a yep. couple of years ago, um, which is when I started using an app to track my cycles, which made me kind of just Excellent. revolutionize how I saw myself on my cycle. So I think many women are listening to this that might have irregular periods, maybe because of stress maybe because of yep. how they're eating. Maybe it's a ketogenic, maybe they're not eating too much, maybe they're calorie, maybe they're energy deficient. Um, but yep. also they could also be on the pill or they could have an implant. And so again, they're kind of, well, how am I relating anything that Sarah and Mindy are saying to me? Because I don't have this normal cycle. What are your thoughts around right. the contraceptive pill or for anyone listening to this that has really irregular cycles um, because of, of hormones? Thank you for listening to this episode so far. I want to quickly tell you about my sponsor, Arena Flowers, who I personally reached out to to sponsor this show as I've been a loyal customer of theirs for two years and I love everything about them. If you follow me, you'll see Arena Flowers are always around my house and they really brighten up my day. For me, a vital pillar of my self-care routine is self-love and having flowers around my house is so important for me to achieve that. If you're watching the video version of this episode, you can see spring has well and truly arrived at my house. But what sets them apart from the rest? Arena Flowers are the UK's number one ethical florist. All their bouquets are hand-tied and delivered in fully recyclable or compostable packaging and free from single-use plastics. Plus, their flowers are sourced from fair trade certified farms. So if you're ready to put a smile on someone's face and positively impact the planet at the same time, download their app now and enjoy free delivery plus 20% off your first purchase. And if it's a last minute present, make sure you order before 9pm for next day delivery. And of course, you're more than welcome to send me some. Thank you for asking this because what has shocked me the most as fast like a girl has gotten out into the world is the number of 30-year-olds that have reached out to me and are like, okay, I'd like to get pregnant. I'm starting to feel some health concerns. A lot of them have PCOS, not really sure what to do because they've been on the pill since they were 13. Mm -hmm. So, And if we look at what the pill did is it took us out of our natural rhythm. So it created a rhythm for us. So the first thing you want to do is find your rhythm. And, you know, if you have a period, start tracking it. 
But within that, understand when am I hungry? When am I not hungry? Um, like get to know the personalities of these hormones and watch where they come in. So that just observe yourself for 30, 60, 90 days and watch your moods, watch your hunger levels, watch your energy output, and you will start to see your natural rhythm. Mm -hmm. The second thing we have to, unfortunately, the sad part of the pill is it destroys the microbiome. And you need that microbiome to break these hormones down. So put a lot of love and care into supporting your microbiome. So again, I'm back at the fermented foods. I'm back at the polyphenol. Olives are great. Like, you know, the dark chocolate, like I list them all out in the book, but you've got to think about repairing your microbiome mm. so that it can break those hormones down. That, so, they're, they're, so there's almost like you've got to get to know yourself in a way that you've never allowed yourself to, to, to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're so crazy intuitive that once we clue in and we kind of watch our rhythm and you learn like the principles I'm teaching in the book, you will start to see where your natural rhythm is. And then the last piece I want to say on this, because we do this as women, is don't stop comparing yourself to other women. Mm -hmm. So, That's you know, just like we... Right? Just like we shouldn't be fasting like the men in our lives. When you go to find your natural rhythm, understand it may be different than your sister. It may be different than your bestie. Like it own your own hormonal path. And I know it's scary. I know it might feel alone, but I feel like what's happened as women for us, especially mm. with social media, is we watch a, a friend go on a diet and we're like, oh my God, she lost 14 pounds. That's amazing. I'm going to do that. Or we watch a friend go to do a workout and we're like, oh my God, that's incredible. I'm going to go do that workout. And we forget that we have our own natural rhythm. Mm. So find your natural rhythm. I know you will find it because our intuitive sense as women is strong once we tap into Honestly, it. Honestly, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it took me a good nine months to understand when I came off my, my period yeah. because I hadn't, I was on the mini pill. So I didn't have a period for nearly 10 years because I had progesterone yeah. only. Um, and that's one of the outcomes of going on that, on the mini pill. Um, and I was yes. just, you know, all over the place for nine months and just terrified. But I yeah. do think it's around the tracking is something that I found really helpful just for yourself to see. Um, and even now, you yeah. know, it alerts me um, before I'm coming on. And I, you know, I'm not the, the biggest lover of every tracker. I do think there's amazing trackers there. You know, we can look at our glucose and we can look at lots of things. And sometimes if we kind of over track ourselves, it can become detrimental as well. But I think definitely around yeah. our menstrual cycle, just being that awareness, it has really helped me. But yeah. something in this concept, and I just want to touch upon it because we're on the contraceptive pill, attraction to their spouse. Talk to me about what happens to women when they come off their pill and the attraction to their partner. Yeah, so I, it's such a powerful study that made the news about a couple of years ago and then it went away. And I'm like, wait a second, can we bring this Let's back? Let's bring it back this now. Shows Let's bring this back. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we can. You and I are on our <laughs> platforms together. We can do this. So here's, here's what happens is it, when you're on the pill, it takes you out of your natural rhythm, but it also takes you out of so many intuitive senses that you are equipped with. And one of them is that we are attracted to our mates based off of things like smell. Mm -hmm. 
And in that smell, the attraction that we have to our mate is because they have a smell that supports our immune system. So think about that in a moment. Why would we need a, a smell that is, that is going to support our immune system? Because the female body is meant to reproduce. And, I, and as much as if you're like a, a woman who's not having kids and you're like, wanna push that away, I hear that. But what it does is that we need, when we're pregnant, our immune system goes down because we have foreign DNA in us. We have our husband's DNA in us. So we need our immune system to be a little a little suppressed and we need a good balance of our immune system. So when we seek out a mate, we seek out the mate that's the best immune system match to us and that is done through smell. When you are on the birth control pill, that changes. That's what this study showed is that your ability to, your attraction to your mate that, that might have not been through smell, you get off the period, your, your, your pill, and now you're literally smelling your mate differently and you are either gonna be maybe more attracted or less attracted. But what this study showed is that a lot of women had marital problems when they got off the pill because that attraction changed and it was all through smell. Oh my God, they got the ick. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Crazy, right? I'm like, they got the ick. That's nuts. Yeah. Okay, anyone listening to this yeah. on the to pill, be very aware when you come off it. You right, might not right. fancy or just, your partner. That's right. Yeah. And just be aware. I mean, this doesn't mean like, this doesn't mean like, oh my God, I've, I thought I was in love with my husband, <laughs> but maybe I'm not. This is more awareness. Everything in this conversation has been yeah. about awareness. And, and because there is so much guilt, shame, and frustration for women, especially right now. And it's all because we're not talking, having conversations like this. So you, so you just be aware of it. And then I'm going to even go one step further and yeah. go, okay, it's time for us to find a male comp to contraception. Like, yes, we've got condoms, but there's some some research that's actually being done now on how, why can't men take a pill that would suppress sperm production? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, of research being done on that right now. The fact that we only have uh, contraceptive options for women outside the condom is 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 sad it is. and that has to change because it's just manipulating our whole hormonal system 100 percent, it's something i think has been in my mind since i first went on the pill it just feels like a very unfair yeah. choice right it's not a choice you're kind of you're forced onto it really right. because it's the only thing that you know that's going to stop you getting pregnant um and when you're 16 it's the safest option that's what you're told yeah just thinking about this as a concept imagine if women never needed to go on the pill again i wonder how more in tune with our bodies we would be. It just isn't yeah. such a familiar concept. And I, I know it's different for you and you grew up in a household where your mother was actually, you know, adamant for you to not go on the pill. But I grew up yeah. with a mother who worked in sexual health who was adamant for me to go mm. on the pill, right? Because she saw all oh, the problems so with people that yeah. didn't go on the pill. Um, and yeah. so we kind of live in this, you know, kind of shaken world within that sector, I think. Um, whereas yeah. I look at it very differently now. Yeah. You know, so I have a 23-year-old daughter and um, it was it was tough to decide what path we were going birth control with her. And I can tell you when I put my mama hat on, like your mom, it's like, okay, whatever's yeah. going to make it so that you don't get pregnant, let's do that. I'm not going to be a grandma um, yet. 
That's right. Like, let's just make sure that that, you know, because that sounds like the worst option. But I, we did go through all the different options and really look at the possibilities. Mm-hmm. And that is where together, you know, she she made the decision, but it was to go into the IUD. But the IUD still has some challenges with it. It's still, you know, affecting and manipulating a cycle. So it's it's a tough conversation, but it's one we need to all be aware of. And when you and then when you get off these these the birth control pill is the hardest one because it's going to take you like you said it took you about nine months to find your cycle, yeah. so it's just going to take time. So be patient with yourself, mm-hmm. um, and and awareness is the beginning of the healing journey. Absolutely, if we're not aware, we can't heal. So take this not as a shame or oh God I should have done it differently. Let's take this as oh my gosh, this is an opportunity for us to be more aware so we can talk to others with a different That leads me on to something that I do really want to make sure we touch upon in today's episode, which is mental health, right? Because that's something that I'm so passionate about that I've driven so much within my career on on mental health. And I do believe that, yes, we've started the conversation so much more on this, but like not around women. Can we talk about this in the role to mental health? Because I know that glutamate, which you've mentioned to me um, previously, which is one of the most abundant neurotransmitters within our brain, works in conjunction. So can you talk about how this plays a part within our cycle for people that are below 40 and then also perimenopausal, Mm -hmm. menopausal? Because again, not just talking about women in one box, talking about women in three different phases of their life, because again, they all change. Um, So I'd love to talk around this concept because I think it's something that many people might not have heard of. Yeah, thank you. This is the whole, you know, basis of my next book. So I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, Like to your point, the first thing I want people to know is that hormones are precursors for neurotransmitters. So estrogen goes into a serotonin receptor site and can activate serotonin. Same thing with dopamine. So when estrogen is on the scene, you're going to have access to more dopamine and serotonin. And so people know that's our happy and feel good hormones, right? That's ones that make us feel great. There you go. Makes us feel great, makes us motivated. Like this is why we tend to feel so good in the front half of our cycle. And to my perimenopausal and menopausal women, this is why when estrogen goes away, depression is very, very common to start to be your normal mental state, mm. which is really, really sad. Mm. And that's, again, what my next my next mission is to help the perimenopausal and menopausal women. Um, so so that's, a, that's the connection with estrogen. Progesterone stimulates GABA. So that's our relaxing hormone. That's one that makes us feel calm, isn't it? Yeah, so that's what gives us like, lets us chill out, lets us calm calm our stuff down. I think of like dopamine and serotonin as like the gas pedal neurotransmitters and GABA's the, the brake. Mm. So that's why it fits in so well with that part of the cycle. So you want to understand why you feel like slowing down at the back half of your cycle and you're not going crazy if you don't want to do something because you you have progesterone and you have GABA. And in the front half of the cycle, you're going to feel happier because you've got serotonin and dopamine that are being triggered by, by estrogen. The glutamate issue is fascinating because the study that I that you and I talked about earlier this week showed that on day 7, day 12, and day 21 of a woman's cycle, 
as estrogen is going to have some moments of peaking, the first two, progesterone and the other one, both of those hormones are going to affect glutamate. And if you don't have the precursors, this gets really complicated, but if you don't have things like amino acids and vitamins and minerals to help balance glutamate, what can happen on those days is the peak of these hormones can cause glutamate to go low. And when glutamate goes low, anxiety ensues. So the woman who is like, I hate ovulation. I don't know what you're talking about that that's my superpower. My, my wisdom to you is that, yeah, okay, you got to help balance glutamate. Get to understand some of the amino acid precursors, um, you know, like tyrosine and 5-HTP is a big one that we can bring in to help br- balance glutamate out because it's that peak that just threw glutamate off. Um, or for the woman who's like so massively anxious on day 21 of her cycle, Okay, well, we got to look again. Let's bring those those amino acids in at that time to support glutamate. But then we also need to look at GABA. Maybe you're, you you need to do more GABA producing activities like four seven eight breathing yeah. and things that will help to to balance that. So the next level of the conversation that you and I had today, and I know if you're like, oh my god, I'm <laughs> I'm so confused. I hope that doesn't isn't the case. But I want you to look at the neurochemical system in totality. It is hormones and neurotransmitters intersect. And so that is another reason you have these ebbs and flows of your moods throughout your cycle. And to my women over 40, this is why when you lose your sex hormones, mental health becomes a major issue. And that is, again, the next conversation I'm trying to crack open with the next I honestly book. believe just knowing that that is a case, right? Yeah. Just knowing that, yeah. well, why am I feeling low if I'm perimenopausal? What's going on? Beating yourself up. Oh, it's because I'm going through the menopause. Something's wrong with me. But actually knowing that yeah. there's something chemically going on, it's so important. And there's things you can do. Like, you know, <clears throat> you think about MSG, as you mentioned, right? right? That's so high in, in Chinese foods, but also how many processed foods are we eating? Like how many, right. all of these, all of these well concepts, said. right, play a huge part in disrupting these levels. So if you're having high yeah. amounts of Chinese takeaway, then maybe don't do it. You know, those are the right. things that's going to push that through the top, break that glass ceiling and yeah. just go, or, that's it, I've gone. And anxiety rises. Yeah. So how yeah. can someone tangibly look at their foods to see how can they make sure that they're balancing this a bit more correctly, apart from eating just kind of like the whole the whole foods and and reducing the processed foods. That's kind of my number one thing that's coming into my brain. Well, you said it. We got to get rid of the processed Mm -hmm. foods. So we got to get rid of the bad oils, the canola oil, the cottonseed, the corn. All of that is just making our cells not receptive even Mm -hmm. to the food we're eating. Uh, We got to get off the antibiotic-rich meat. I'm a fan of meat, um, but it needs to be clean meat. So we got to get off those chemicals that destroy the, the food chemicals that destroy the microbiome. And then anything toxic, like any synthetic ingredient, like NutraSweet. You know, I, I can't tell you how many questions I've answered from women that are like, can I have Diet Coke when I, when I fast? And I'm like, no, you actually can't have Diet Coke ever. <laughs> like never, like that's not working for you. So, so we got to get out of the Western diet has really depleted our ability to even absorb the uh, nutrients and amino acids from our diet. Mm-hmm. Now, outside of that, and this hopefully will come across with more simplicity, um, is when we look at amino acids, 
unfortunately, if you're a vegan, you're going to probably need to supplement a bit with some amino acids because a meat meat has the complete array of aminos mm-hmm. like grass-fed beef has every essential uh, and non-essential amino acid that you need. So we need to look at protein differently. We need to look at meat differently. Eggs have choline in them, which is so imperative for many of these neurotransmitters. Um, We need to go into these times of carbs because carbs are gonna help to bring up serotonin. So so we can really look at at food as medicine from that perspective. But then the other place I want to I want to add in a great like sort of takeaway for everybody is stop eating the same foods over and over and over again. You have over seven thousand different types of microbes in your gut, and if you eat the same you know fifty foods over and over and over again, you're creating a monoculture. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I try, like when I go out to a restaurant, the first thing I look at on the menu is what don't I eat at home. And that I pick that. I love that. And when, when I do the same meal over and over again, I'm like, what am I doing? Like I'm try to push myself out of my food comfort zone and open up diversity because that's how my microbiome will become the most diverse. I think honestly, the diverse rich of foods is so fundamentally important. And I try to say to all of my patients when they come in, I say, if you can do one thing this week, just one change, when you go to the supermarket, just this one time in the whole week, pick up a new vegetable or a new fruit or a new whole grain or a new legume that you've never tried before, or even a herb, pick up a new food that you've never tried before and just try cooking with it. And if you do that Amazing. slowly, like that. every every week, over 52 weeks, you've got 52 new foods yeah. in your diet and it feels less overwhelming, Amazing. you know, just to do that yeah. small thing. And I love what you're doing when you go into a restaurant. What have I not tried? I, you haven't even got to cook it. <laughs> Right. No, like, you know, and so it's the most, I literally picked the most obscure thing. So, you know, what, how do we choose food? We choose it off our taste buds. What am I in the mood for? Okay. Let's reframe that. How about we say, um, what do my hormones need today? What, what does my microbiome need that I haven't given it yet? And then what do I, what do my taste buds want? Mm -hmm. Let's make it the third thing, not the first Mm -hmm. thing. And then you will start to see that everything in your body improves. So we can use food as medicine if we use it from that angle. So when we look at the mental health issue, if you're like, oh my God, I'm so like, now I've got to think about my neurotransmitters along with my, with my hormones. Um, it can be as simple as that. Just feed your microbiome, open up the diversity of food, understand the hormonal profile and you can't go wrong. I love those three simple concepts. Everyone will be writing them down right now. And they're, they're three things that we can just ask ourselves, right? Talk out loud. Yeah. I know you do. Yeah. I know I do. I find it really helpful. I talk to my dog. I, yeah. ask, I ask him what he thinks I should <laughs> be doing. But I do think even saying it out loud can have such more of a powerful concept, right? You kind of have, yeah. hold yourself more accountable in that moment. Yeah, or talk or talk to other women too. I was this weekend. I was at a retreat and I ran into a plant based chef. She was the the uh, head chef for the Four Seasons in Santa Barbara, 
And I, and I looked at the table and I, of food that she was serving us. And I was like, these are, do you know what hormone feasting foods are? Like, these are hormone feasting foods. And she's like, no, explain this to me. So we started to geek out. I taught her hormones and how it relates to food. Now she's going to go bring that to a, you know, a, a major hotel like the Four Seasons. Amazing. So we have to talk about yeah. it. Every, I mean, that's an, a general theme of everything today. Share this podcast out. Open this conversation up. I, you and I are just here to crack that conversation open, yeah. but it is every woman's responsibility now to step into that and, and just start talking about it. And then the answers over the next several years will get clearer and clearer and, and more simple for us to use. Yeah, I love that. What a great way to end the podcast. Um, thank you so much for your time and your book and all the work you're doing into Women's House because mm. it's a conversation we need to keep having. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. And I, and thank you for seeing what I'm trying to do with this. And I, I really feel like we've hit a time for women to stand into our own power. Mm. And the, the most beautiful way to do that is with our health power. The book just cracked it open. This conversation cracks it open a little bit wider, but we all have to step into it. So I appreciate the opportunity and I love that you're seeing this. Thank you. If you want three practical tips that can help you maintain a fasting routine in your life, then you can listen to the bonus episode as well as additional content from me when you sign up for a subscription using Apple Podcasts. Start your free trial now by clicking try free on the Live Well, Be Well show page on Apple Podcasts. One last thing, I've created something just for you. It's a 30-day online course to give your well-being journey that extra boost, and it's totally free. Go to sarahammacklin.com to download it now. There's a link in the description, and I'll see you on the next episode.